Hey guys, this is Emily Richardson. And this is Megan Rawlings. And you are listening to the Talk, Talk Bible to Me podcast, presented by The Bold Movement. Hey, sweet friends. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Talk Bible to Me podcast, where we will be working through Philippians 1, 19 through 30. Ladies, we're so excited you are here. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you can, because we want to study this passage with you verse by verse. We have a goal here at The Bold Movement to increase biblical literacy. What better time to start than right now? And if this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. We're really glad you found us. And for our returners, thank you so much for keeping up with us and tuning in. We love being a place for you to grow and learn, and we hope that through this study, you gain some extra boldness and confidence to start teaching your own Bible study. Before we begin, we want to let you know that this podcast is an extension of the Bold Movement, which is a ministry that trains women to boldly step into their role in the kingdom of God. There are tons of free resources on the website, as well as Bible studies that not only teach you scripture, but also how to study it and podcast episodes just like this one. This is all designed to help you grow in your faith and find your role and purpose in the kingdom of God. You can visit our website at www.theboldmovement.com. Today's episode is presented by listeners just like you who have committed to supporting The Bold Movement through our Patreon page. Those supporters are mentioned later on, and you can be too. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash The Bold Movement. Okay, sis, here's how we work. We'll read a verse or two of scripture, and then we'll pause to work through it and discuss what it means. I'll name the resources we are using, as well as Emily, and then we will post them on our website so you can familiarize yourself with them as well. With that being said, let's study Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. Today, we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, often referred to as the ESV. Let's start with verse 19. It says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Hey, um, Emily, do you yeah. remember that one time <laughs> when we stopped uh, an episode right in the middle of a sentence and then started the next episode in the middle of that same sentence instead of focusing on the sentence, we focused on the verses like I always tell people not to do. We definitely did that, didn't we? Oops. And that's not your fault because I'm the one who made the breakdown for this study. So you're making the breakdown for the next I'm one. I'm a newbie, so I'm I'm clear. Uh, okay. Yeah. She's a newbie. Well, actually, I feel like newbies are the ones who should be blamed for it. So shame on you. No, I'm totally kidding. Oh, my fault. <laughs> so what I'll do is go ahead and recap verse 18. So that way, verse 19 makes a little bit more sense. How does that sound? It sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, it says, but what does it matter? The important thing, and this is Paul talking about um, being in prison and, and all the things going on. Okay. And if you don't know what I'm talking about by all the things going on, just go back and listen to the episode from last week. <laughs> But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And here's where the uh, next sentence begins. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes. And I will continue to rejoice. 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Um, Emily, I'm going to go ahead and read 20 because um, most of the notes I think we both have are uh, a combination of those two verses. Go for it. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Whoa. That's like, that's heavy. It's super heavy. And here's why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For I know that through your prayers, he's, he's saying it's obviously a combination of the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, But he says, it's also in, in partnership with your prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he said to his disciples, the Oh, Oh, Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. Through your prayers. I'm reading my notes and I read them word for word instead of like explaining what it is. (laughs) So um, another place, which is, this is super interesting. I learned in my Greek class with Dr. Girdwood. Okay. Um, I wish I could say that I found it because I'm really intelligent and understand Greek that well. But the truth is he explained it to me about three times before it actually connected. (laughs) So I'm going to try my best to explain it to you because this is really cool. 
Sebek and Matthew. Um, I think it's chapter 6, um, verses 37 and 38. It says, Then he said to his disciples, and that's Jesus talking to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, in the Greek, it actually uh, should not be therefore because it's hopas, which is which is how. So it should mm. read, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly, which is how the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into mm -hmm. his harvest. And so I think it's something similar here um, in Philippians. It's not just, um, yes, obviously it's a work of the spirit of Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, but um, the spirit wants to partner with us in ministry. Notice, notice I said once and not needs. I think that's a very important distinction yes. to make, yes. but it's, um, it's because of the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ and your prayers. And I think that's kind of similar to what Christ said in Matthew, which is how God chooses to do that through your prayers. And I mm -hmm. see that similarity there. Um, it involves the people in part of the Lord's work by praying. Absolutely. It gets us involved in that. And I think that's what God wants. Mm -hmm. um, he's fully capable of doing things on his own. He doesn't need us, but he desires us to be part of his ministry. He desires us to come to him. And, and I, I don't know when that's one of the reasons I always tell people read Greek, read Greek, study Greek, <laughs> check out the lexicons or interlinears. Like it's really that easy. You don't even need to study the entire language, but I think sometimes we miss those things. Um, yes. And we just kind of assume that therefore is correct, but it's actually, which is how God chooses to send out laborers. So it's also an encouragement, Emily, for people to pray because that's how he's going to send preachers and evangelists mm -hmm. and missionaries. It's through our prayers. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> awesome. I just thought that was really cool. When I get excited, I get a little too excited. So hopefully that wasn't like crazy. Um, and then um, I also read in a commentary by uh any any guesses who it was by i'm gonna guess carson <laughs> she's looking <laughs> at my notes <laughs> he said in this context deliverance does not mean release from imprisonment so we're talking about in verse 20 um no we're not we're talking about verse 19 but it goes into 20 where um he says your prayers and and the provision of the holy spirit um has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I think this is really important. So I want you guys to pay attention here. The deliverance does not mean deliverance from imprisonment, but something more important, his ultimate vindication, whether in life or in death. Let me say that again. When he's talking about deliverance here, he's talking about the ultimate vindication, whether in life or in death. This will come about through their prayers. That is, owing not least to their prayers and the consequent help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul will be so faithful that he will be entirely vindicated before God in the end. That Paul wants above all else to be found faithful is made clear by verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Emily, what say yeah. you? Like, in a sense, Paul's deliverance that he's talking about is, is a spiritual deliverance because it's not just his bodily deliverance from jail. He's saying regardless of the outcome of his time in prison, he has every reason to eagerly expect and hope for spiritual victory. Like he's, mm. he's hoping for spiritual victory because he wasn't relying on his own courage, but the courage given by the Holy Spirit. That was a gift to him from the Holy Spirit. So just how cool it was that he's, he's sitting in prison and he's not thinking about just being released from prison. He's thinking right. about this is all for God's victory. You know, it's really interesting. And there's another scripture, I think it's in James where it, is it James? I'm going to feel really stupid if it's not, and I will cut it out. But it says that um, if you ask for it, you will receive it. 
Yeah. Um, but that is actually what it's the verse is saying in the Greek. I know, crazy. Again, I did not find this on my own. It was a Dr. Kurdwa teaching moment. It is um God, you will be so in tune with God that you will ask for yes. the things yes. and desires that God places in your heart. Yes. And it will no yes. longer be desires your selfish desires or your human desires, but it'll be your spiritual desires for the expansion of the kingdom, for the glory of God, all of those good things. That's the importance of reading things in context because he's Mm. not talking about asking for whatever you want. He's talking about asking for wisdom and asking for his guidance on things that he wants, not what you want. But we tend to make that like, oh, well, if I ask him and I'll receive, I can ask for a million dollars, then surely I'll receive it. Yes. Kingdom no, things, no, godly no. things. Right. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to finish um, up with the quote from Carson. Okay. Thus, Paul's driving concern is not that he should be released from jail or that if he must die, he should have a relatively painless departure, which we talked about, mm-hmm. but that he should do nothing of which he would someday be ashamed. Okay, first of all, <laughs> I'm going to pause there for a second. Um, I absolutely love the fact that Paul's concern is, I don't want to be ashamed of myself in the future. He mm-hmm. is not blinded by nearer sights, but he's looking at the long term. Long term, how is this going to affect my ministry and how yes. I represent Christ? Because I don't want to be ashamed of how I'm representing him. And I think that's a very hard thing for us to do for me to do I can't speak for everyone else um because I am a very emotionally driven like a right now kind of person and especially his culture so there's a really good book um I don't know if you can like link it later but um, it's misreading scripture with western eyes Mm. um it's a book about the way that especially in our western culture we read scripture through our own culture and how we see things and um like for him to be ashamed was like the deepest form of like the last thing you would want to do in that kind of, in the Eastern culture, that's how it is. Like when you're shamed by your family, that is the very, very worst thing that you could go through worse than anything else. So when he's saying like, he doesn't want to be ashamed, like this is a really deep thing that he's talking about, like a very personal thing, especially in their culture. Cause people would know when reading this, that like, he holds this so highly not to be ashamed in the way that he's living for Christ. So when we read that through our Western view, sometimes that might come off like, oh, I'm just don't want to be like embarrassed, but no, this was like a deep, he does not want to be deeply ashamed, like cast off by family and friends kind of shame. Right. So they have the honor shame culture, correct? Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. was that how yes. uh, this was? Yep. Um, I don't know what our culture is. Guilt. I think we're a guilt culture. Guilt. Yeah. It's so, very singular. And it, we tend to like think of things through our own like conscience, but theirs is more, it's not conscience driven. It's more shame driven by right. others. So like where we might be convicted in our own minds because we're very individual, mm-hmm. they would more easily be convicted by people around them. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. It's completely it, different. It definitely helps when you take yourself out of yourself to read these things. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Continuing on. He wants courage so that Christ may be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. And that was in verse 20. He wants to hear Christ's blessed well done on the last day. And he openly solicits the prayer of God's people in Philippi that he might be strengthened toward the end. Um, That's something I'm always like preaching to myself. Like you want to hear, which I am, um, works-based faith is really hard for me because I'm Mm -hmm. a very, like, uh, I have to earn it. I have to earn Mm -hmm. God's love. And so the concept of like free love and grace is really Mm -hmm. challenging for me. Um, because I'm a, I'm a performer by nature, I guess is, and I don't mean like a stage performer. I just mean like my performance is what makes me worthy. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, something I preach to myself all the time is like, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. But something I also have to preach to myself is, um, Christ loves me just because. Yes. Yeah. And I want to hear well done, 
mm-hmm. because of my response to that. Mm-hmm. But I don't hear that because of my response. I hear that mm-hmm. just because. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of a something I've been working through for the past, I don't know, 31 years of my life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have another quote by Lynn Kohick. Do you want to um, take that one? Sure. It says, what is Paul expecting and hoping that in the final hour, he will not fail his testimony. Paul does not want to be ashamed to experience the public humiliation that would come with the denial of his faith. That kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, when we today hear the term shame, we think of someone who feels bad for a wrong they did. But in Paul's day, to be ashamed was to be publicly humiliated. Thus, when Hebrews declares that Jesus Christ ignored the shame of the cross, that's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, or when Paul announces that he's not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, 16, the message is that the social stigma of the cross would not deter believers in their pub- public testimony any more than it deterred Christ from dying on a cross. Note mm. Paul's own imitation of Christ's meekness, and accepting public humiliation for the sake of the gospel. Let's talk about that for a second. So um, to die on a cross is Mm -hmm. not like lethal injection, like shameful to be be sentenced to death. But dying on a cross was like the most humiliating way to be uh, murdered. It was a curse. It was a curse back then. And also, like, when we see crosses and, like, depictions and pictures, it's always, like, Mm -hmm. kind of glamorized almost. It's, like, up on a hill and they're, you know, they're lifted and elevated on the hill. And actually, when, uh, when in the first century, when Romans would kill someone, um, crosses were at eye level so that you could Mm -hmm. walk up and openly mock the person hanging on them, spit on them, um, Mm -hmm. do whatever you wanted. Um, and it was almost like adding to the shame. And they also uh, hung them naked because yeah. nakedness was shameful as well. So when mm-hmm. I say like when they're talking about the shamefulness of a cross, I could see in that century, in that context rather, um, how people would be distracted by the fact that he died on the cross yeah. um, opposed to the message of what it stood for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've cleaned it up a lot. A lot. So I think we, we've lost how shameful it was. Oh, yeah. Because you don't ever, I mean, obviously you're never going to see a, a picture of Jesus hung naked on the cross, but like that's truly what happened. And even to think about that is, it's embarrassing and shameful to even think of it that way, but that's yeah. really how it was. And like Paul is saying, he's willing to do that. Yeah. Especially in that culture that shame was such a big deal. He's willing to go that far for Christ. Like that's incredible. Crosses were reused as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe we should do something on just kind of like the actual history of mm-hmm. the crucifixion um, one day. Maybe we'll talk about that on the podcast yeah, to that'd be awesome. go a little deeper. Um, mm-hmm. Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So... Um, these are obviously Paul's values for me to live is Christ. And then to die, I'm going to gain. And I got to be honest with you guys, <laughs> even up to a couple years ago, um, I was like, yeah, to live is Christ to die is gain. And I would say it. And part of me is like, what does that even mean to live <laughs> is Christ? Like, am I saying I'm, I am Christ? Cause I'm uncomfortable saying that. And to die yeah. is gain. Like that makes a little more sense. If I'm dying, I'm gaining because I don't have to live this in a sinful fallen world, but I never understood the, the live as Christ kind of thing. Um, I was just taking it so literally instead of keeping it in context of what's being spoken here. And so Carson, um, thanks Don, <laughs> good old Donny boy. <laughs> oh, that's his name. In case you guys don't know who DA Carson is, it's Don no, Carson. No. Yeah. Never forget. Yeah. And he's one of the leading New Testament scholars. Like you don't have to agree with his theology, but he has some sick stuff in the yeah. commentary. So we're using yeah. it. He said in the context to live is Christ surely means that for Paul to keep on living here means ministry. Christ-centered ministry, Christ-empowered ministry, 
Christ's presence in his ministry. And to die is to bring that ministry to an end. But even so, there is only gain since the ministry is not an end in itself and it is not swallowed up in the glorious delight of the unshielded presence of the exalted Jesus himself. We need that reminder, especially anybody who's listening who's in ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Ministry is not the end in itself. But everything revolves around Christ. That's so good. Um, Also, like Paul's courage to live or die for Christ came because Christ was the the motive of everything he did. Like it was the source of all of his strength. So to off to die after such a life would only mean gain because death was his ticket to be in the presence of God. So, and the other thing about that too is dying before Rome would bear witness to the power of the gospel because what man would die for something he didn't fully believe in. Absolutely. And remember guys, he is in prison. And um, when I was talking to Dr. Girdwood, uh, he, he, so whatever we're studying, we read in Greek. And he always adds little nuggets of truth and interesting facts. So I absolutely love him. Um, But he said, Megan, you know, it says that he is using this in front of the whole Imperial Guard to advance the gospel. He goes, Mm -hmm. they're thinking that he was kind of tossed in to the wayside and like, ha blah, blah, blah. His mission's over. He's like, no, you put me in front of the soldiers who need to hear it. And then they can go and carry it on. And I love the Mm -hmm. enthusiasm. I could just see Paul getting hyped over this kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, I I think, I think you're right. Cause all of Rome would bear witness to the power of the gospel because that's who his audience is. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into that because even his audience where he is in prison and his audience who he's writing to in Philippi, this isn't necessarily a Roman um, embraced city, but there are a lot of uh, retired Roman military here. And, excuse me. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, do you want to go ahead and read this part? Sure. Verses 20 through, 22 through 24, it says, if, I'm, if I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Imagine imagine having so much confidence that you can be like, I really want to be with Christ, but I'm going to suffer for you guys. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to remain on earth because you guys need me. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's almost like uh, Moses writing that he was humble. Yes. <laughs> In the penitent. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably like a cultural thing and the context and all of that. I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, he's like, I desire these things and it's going to be better for me to be with Christ, but it's just necessary for you all <laughs> that I'm here. <laughs> you need me clearly. But could you imagine being in a place where you've reached um, a level of sanctification? I don't know. You're not fully sanctified until you're dead. But um, (laughs) to reach a level of maturity, maybe that's a better word, of spiritual maturity, that you can be like, it's not because I'm so amazing, but it's because God has shown me these things and I still need to show you guys these things. Yeah. And and to be at that level um, and be able to acknowledge it without being a boaster, I guess. I don't yeah. know. That to me is just kind of incredible because I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I love Paul and I've never really thought of him as like this arrogant person because Christianity at the time was under persecution. So it's yeah. not like he, he gains anything. Deal. Yeah. It's yeah. not like he gains anything from this stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to remain here because I'm like the best Christian. And today we look at it like, Psh. But then it's almost like, I don't yeah. know, it's different. Well, I think like it, it honestly shows his humility because when you think of it, like he's about to be murdered for his faith, potentially. Mm. And right, could be, yeah. He knows that once he's dead, he gets to be with Christ. But yet he's saying, but I love you all so much and want you all to know the gospel so much that I'm willing to stay here a little bit longer to help you out. Right, right. That's actually, like, pretty incredible for him to say, I will choose you, you know, even though the option could be there for me to be done with all this crazy world. (laughs) Yeah, I really identify with Paul. I'm just like that. 
I'm willing. <laughs> and Emily's face, she was like, no, you're not. Like, she didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> you um, have the bluntness of Paul. I love that. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing because I probably don't have his maturity. So, <laughs> um, Carson says, what can you possibly do with Christians like that? Kill them? You hmm. simply cannot um, hush them up. Christ yeah. means too much to them. The gospel is too central for them. Guys, that's how I want to be remembered. Like, <laughs> you can't shut me up because <laughs> Christ means too much and the gospel is too central. As for Paul, it is not in his power to choose between service here and departing to be with Christ. Um, between living and dying, between being released from prison for more gospel ministry and paying the ultimate price, thus being released into the presence of the exalted Christ. Yet... Suppose he could choose. What would he do? He says in 122, I do not know. He frankly admits. That is, he has no words from the Lord as to what is going to happen and therefore what he ought to choose under such hypothetical circumstances. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And that's 23 and 24. By remain in the body, he means being acquitted before the imperial court and released from prison, for then he would be free to continue his apostolic ministry to the benefit of the Philippians and others. Emily, what I say think, you? I think verse 24 is a prime example of the importance and the urgency of the gospel. Because when Paul's saying that it's better for him to stay alive for the sake of his brothers and sisters, rather than move on to that joy that we were talking about, just being in the presence of the Lord... Like for something to be temporarily better than that has to be pretty important. Like for yeah. him to say, I think it's more important for me to stay with you rather than be in the presence of Christ. He knows that's an important job. And we should be hearing that and seeing that sharing the gospel and then encouraging other believers is so vital. Like we need to be doing these things. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I wish we had the passion that Paul does um, mm. and passion cannot be taught. Right. Okay. That's not something you teach someone. The only way to get passion is to um, know your subject better. And mm -hmm. so you get passionate about God and passionate about scripture and passionate about the gospel by becoming more familiar with it, by repeating mm -hmm. it to yourself, by studying scripture daily. The mm -hmm. more you study something and the more involved you get in something, scientifically our brains are wired to become more excited, passionate, and focused on that yeah. thing. And that's why I think, you know, when we're not reading our Bible, when we're not praying, God's an mm -hmm. afterthought. He's on the back mm -hmm. burner. But when yep. we do, which I mean, that makes sense. I know that's mm -hmm. how it works, but there is scientific evidence yeah. of that as well. Like that's how God literally designed our brains to work. Yeah. In O'Brien's commentary, he says, there is, however, no interest in Paul's state of health as such, which is really interesting to me. Um, <clears throat> maybe because I have health anxiety to like the nth degree. And mm. so my health is always something that's kind of in the front of my mind. Like, oh my gosh, there's, I have a spot. And I literally went to the doctor because I had a discoloration on my face. Mm. And he told me it was an age spot. <laughs> I was convinced it was cancer and it was oh, not. No. Yes. <laughs> it, it was worse. <laughs> it was an age spot. <laughs> yeah. He was like, you need some vitamin C on it. And I'm like, get out of here. Um, but I always find it fascinating that, you know, when, when we are focused on Christ and his gospel and mm. we do it so fervently and so much, everything else is minimized. Our anxieties, our depression, our mental health status, our worries about the kids, our worries about our job, whatever is going on in our life becomes minuscule in comparison because we have grasped and focused so much on the gospel. So whenever um, I start getting anxious or I start noticing that I'm having anxieties related to health or whatever, I also am able to take a step back and be like, oh... I haven't been reading my Bible or my prayer life is a bunch of crap right now. Like I have got to step it up in my spiritual disciplines. That is how we grow. And that's how we get that um, peace that surpasses all understanding that we're going to learn about later. Yeah. I heard a really good quote one time that said, 
this has helped with my anxiety as well because I do struggle with health anxiety in very similar ways. And the quote, I'm going to botch it, but it's something along the lines of, we spend so much time gazing at our problems and glancing at Christ Mm. and it's flipped where we gaze at Christ and glance at our problems. And that was like such a shift for me to remember, like when we are gazing at Christ, all the other things you really do just glance at them because you're not worried about any of it because you know that this is just the beginning of eternity. And so, yeah, if you do get, you know, a spot of cancer on your face, God forbid, but like if that does happen, you know that God has you and that you gaze at him to walk you through it. And it shifts the way you think about it because your focus is not on something that doesn't matter. You know, what's really interesting is my husband and I were talking and he said one of the things that people were drawn to Jesus and um, even people later on, this is how the conversation went, people later on, like Billy Graham or, mm. um, you know, uh, I literally cannot think of anyone else because I'm on the spot <laughs> saying this, of course. But one of the things that draws people to them is their peace. Oh, yeah. Because they had such a peace. And it was fascinating because, um, I mean, I work in ministry. You work in ministry. Mm-hmm. That's just not something that Christians have now. No. And it's uh, it's terrible because we're promised a mm-hmm. supernatural peace. But the Holy Spirit, through uh, inspired men to write in Scripture, says you will get the peace that surpasses understanding if you do these things. Think Mm -hmm. about these things, what's Mm -hmm. good, true, noble. Um, And like I said, we're going to learn about that a little bit more because it comes in chapter four, I believe. Um, But that's one of the things that makes the kingdom grow is they see the peace that God gives you. Um, and I think we're in a world that's longing for that. Yes. It's like a magnet. When you see someone who is peaceful, it stands out and you want Absolutely. more of it. Absolutely. I'm drawn to peaceful people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Everything in subordinate to preaching of the gospel. This is O'Brien. Back to his quote. Paul's ultimate vindication from God is assured, and he is confident that just as always in the past, so too, now Christ will be glorified in his body. In verse 20, the issues of life and death are clearly subordinate to Christ being glorified in Paul. But within the paragraph of verses 21 through 26, death and life are examined as alternatives in the light of the benefit for Paul and his readers. The perspective has changed somewhat. Verse 25 says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Lynn Kohick, who is absolutely fantastic, said throughout this passage, Paul uses I extensively, which speaks to his intimate relationship with the Philippians. However, he also speaks as a representative believer for every Christian can say that death is gain for our hope of salvation is sure. Paul uses the representative I in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, as he similarly includes all believers. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I wanted to talk about this. I have a theory here. <laughs> Let's hear it. I have a theory. And... um. This is not something that I found in scripture. It is just something that I have inferred based on my studies of this. I think Paul has developed relationships. There are no synagogues in Philippi, which means there's a small Jewish population. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, they were having um, services down by the river. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's no place for them to really um, worship. Um, So I think based on that, he's obviously writing to the Christians who are here. And um, there's Jewish Christians as well, the converts. And I'm going to say that he probably met them at Passover in... forgot how my theory went 
it was Passover in Jerusalem or they met in maybe they were kicked out of Rome and went to Phil- never mind I'm going to scratch it because I can't remember and I'm not going to look like an idiot <laughs> can't insult your intelligence just not doing it I'll tell you what's interesting um I love that Paul uses I to represent all of us because anytime mm-hmm. I can be associated with Paul, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Okay. Do you want to read the rest of that quote? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Kohik continues and says, thus, verses 25 through 26, turns to look ahead in the letter. Yet these verses also serve to complete Paul's argument that began back in 112, where he spoke of the advance or progress of the gospel. And here he speaks of the Philippians' progress, repeating the same verb. In 112, the advancement is both the gospel being made known to many and the emboldening of the believers in testifying to that message. The same meaning can be understood in 125, that the Philippians will boldly preach the gospel and live a life that matches the message they proclaim. Okay, guys, this has been really interesting, and we only have a couple of verses left, but we have a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back after that. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a message from our sponsors. We are able to continue podcast episodes like this because of our Patreon supporters, Jerry Lewis, Kelsey Graff, Soyon Barber, Julia Carter, Amy Mathis, Jill Walters, and Dave Hansel. If you like what you hear, would you consider becoming a partner of The Bold Movement? Our plans range from $5 a month to $50 a month with exciting incentives for growing Christian women. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash The Bold Movement. Now, back to the show. Hey. Hey, and welcome back. We're so excited that you're still here. (laughs) If you guys want to hear your name on our podcast, head on over to the patreon.com forward slash the bold movement, and you too can hear your name on the podcast during our commercial break. That's a big deal. You want your name on there. Yeah, it's exciting. And if you don't want your name on there, you can still donate because it's useful to the ministry. Listen, we I am not afraid to ask for money. It makes our ministry more effective because we are able to expand and grow and get the resources we need to enhance what we're already doing. Because the Bull Movement is more than a podcast. We are ministering to women and helping them dive into the word. Right, Emily? Exactly. All right. She's laughing. She's so uncomfortable because <laughs> unlike me, Emily does not like to ask for money. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> That's well, literally my job. So <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> All right. Let's go to verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think that right there also kind of reflects what he was stating before. I don't want to do anything that... I'll be ashamed of. And I think here he's encouraging the Philippians to also. Yeah. Yeah. Take note of that. Okay. Um, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Wowzers. Do you have anything to say before I get into my really exciting Greek? (laughs) You get into it first because I'll have something to say after that. Okay. Here's my Greek is for geeks. Like this is where we get really nerdy. So I'm really excited about excited. My favorite part though. I love this. I'm so excited that I can't even speak English right now. (laughs) I'm so excited for Greek. I don't even speak English. Okay. So, the Greek word for striving together, oh my gosh, it's, I'm struggling. Really yeah, the Greek word for striving together that we um, just read is sunathlutes, okay, wow. which is like, yeah, there's a word for you. Say that five times fast. Super long. Yeah, and this word means fighting together, vigorously cooperating with each other, or competing together with others. Okay. Mm -hmm. So striving together 
isn't just striving. It's actually, there's more. Um, it's you're fighting, you're vigorously cooperating with those who are in likeness with you. You're competing. That's super intense. Yes. And it's a military type word. Okay. Do you see where I'm going Back with this? Military conversations. I love Last it. Last week, we talked about euangelion, which is yep. the Greek word for gospel. Mm-hmm. They would use that to carry out the uh, victorious battle cry that they won in battle, which was m- militarily used. And you talked about prokoping being um, advanced. It means the advancement. We talked about that being military-esque. And remember, here's where I'm getting really excited. Philippi as a town full of retired Roman military. And this is Paul wanting to make sure that this letter is spoken to the audience that he is writing to. It's not just to the church in Philippi, Mm. but this is also something that can be used to bring in and win over the community that is Philippi. That's my theory. All people. Yes, that's my theory of why he's using these military terms. It completely makes sense. It sounds like something Paul would do. Yes. Isn't that the, Did you get goosebumps? <laughs> <laughs> I was it's really funny. excited. That last episode. So it's funny. <laughs> um, when I was reading that, and Dr. Girdwood was talking to me about how it's like uh, – because we, we read the Greek, we don't have an English translation. And so we got to that word mm-hmm. and I went, yeah, I don't know what that means. And he was like, well, is there anything you can tell me about it? And that's where I'm like, oh, blah. and no, I can't tell you anything about it. So <laughs> because the ending is weird. I know soon means with and yeah, that's about all I can do. So we're talking about this word and he's like, you know, it's it's uh, vigorously fighting and he's using these terms and I'm like, like military and he goes yeah and I'm like oh my gosh I can't wait to tell Emily I was so excited yes (laughs) um we have an incredibly long quote by Kohik but I thought it was really good um you think we should read it to him or just like keep him in suspense how long can we keep him in suspense no I'm just kidding definitely read it I don't know if they're driving. They might be like, I'm sitting here waiting to go clock in, girls. Come on. Wait for this to be done. Finish up. Why don't you read it since it's so long? Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Here we go. He says, Paul offers a second way to the Philippians, a second way the Philippians can think about standing firm. That is to not fear their opponents. The verb to fear can be used to describe a herd of stampeding horses, wild and out of control in their panic. This is really cool. While horses are created with the fight, not the flight, not fight instinct, Paul indicates that believers need not run blindly or anxiously from those who harbor ill will toward them. Why should the Philippians bravely stand firm? Because God has accomplished their salvation. The term salvation in Paul generally means one's eternal life with God, but it also carries a more mundane meaning in Greek, deliverance from trouble. So Paul has both meanings in view as he's convinced that the Philippians' steadfast declaration of the gospel will prevail against any forces of evil. In this, Paul reveals a mystery of the faith, namely that a believer's steadfastness in the face of opposition has spiritual ramifications greater than the immediate situation. For example, in the beginning of Job, God and the the adversary discuss Job's potential reaction to suffering. What Job does not realize is that his subsequent faithfulness in the face of dreadful circumstances has ramifications in the spiritual realm. Job helps defeat the adversary's plan and advance a larger cause cause of righteousness through his own obedience. In a similar manner, Paul shows the Philippians that their lack of fear in the face of suffering carries with it greater spiritual spiritual ramifications than their personal maturity in the faith. It also signals the ultimate overthrow of evil and the victory of God in Christ. The guilt of the oppressors is displayed in their persecution of the righteous and their ultimate destruction comforts those afflicted now. Paul reminds the Philippians that God's victory in Christ is sure. He's not arguing that believers chase down suffering and oppression as though to prove their faith, only that they stand fast when waves of suffering and struggle threaten to knock them over. I think a key thing here 
in Paul telling them not to be frightened is that he, he tells them, um, I finished the quote, by the way, <laughs> I probably should preface, but I'm not still reading. <laughs> These are my thoughts now. Okay. <laughs> to the less intelligent, probably I don't have all these degrees that Kohei oh, has. Stop but- it. <laughs> everyday people, right? We're everyday people. That's um, but I think a key thing here in Paul telling them not to be frightened is that he tells them they need to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side. So he's showing them the need for unity when, when they're moving the gospel forward. And if we're going to be victorious and standing strong in our faith and not waver on truth, which is so common in our culture, we have to be in community with one another. We have to be studying together and we have to be encouraging each other in the gospel that we know is true. I think that's why Jesus says in John 13, 35, like people will know his disciples by their love for one another. When God's people stand together, those who are against God will see that. But when we don't stand firm together, we're more vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. So we're going to be more vulnerable to that fear. And that, that includes being intimidated by culture and being afraid of what people think or what they'll do to us because of our faith, which that happens all the time. We, we don't want to speak up because we're afraid of something. But when the church mm-hmm. stands firm together, we're a picture of the victory of Christ. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Pass the offering plate. Service is done. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right. There's um there's an old spiritual hymn and it says they will know we are Christians by mm-hmm. our love, by our love. And then there's a verse and it says um we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and it says we will guard each man's dignity mm-hmm. and save each man's pride. Yeah. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. And that's always, that verse has always stood out to me because Christianity is not a competition. Right. There is Jesus and on, on this pedestal, and then there's everybody else. There's the rest of us all in the same playing field. And I'm pretty sure I say that every time that I speak on a public platform, I I always say the gospel and I always say there's Jesus and there's everybody else. Um, Mm -hmm. We are all together. Um, yes. You're exactly right. We we have to be unified and it's not a competition. It's not like we have to outdo the other to earn God's love more. He's not going to love you any more than he does right now. He's not going to love you any less than he does right now. And you're exactly right. We cannot waver on truth. Mm-hmm. We have to we stand that, That's when we start being afraid of, of what people think. And that's yeah. when culture starts to take over the church instead yes. of the church taking over culture because we're not standing together and we spend so much time disagreeing over silly things when we should be united and we should be moving, advancing the gospel forward for victory. And that's Galatians 1.10. Exactly. Am I afraid of, am I focused on pleasing people or mm-hmm. am I focused on pleasing God? Because yep. if I'm focused on pleasing people, I'm not a servant of Christ, period. You're going to lose the true gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Verse 29 and 30. Oh, my gosh. We're almost there. (laughs) We made it through the whole podcast. Here we go. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Listen to that. It's been granted to you mm-hmm. on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to do another quote because I'm a parrot this podcast. <laughs> I'm just, quotes. I'm just quotes. parroting people. I've, I've been doing that a lot lately. And I'm just like, Megan, think for yourself. And I'm like, no, they've already thought through it and they've worded it so well. <laughs> yes. Okay, Kohik. We're all about Kohik and Carson today. Lynn Kohik says, and I believe she is a seminary professor at, um, I want to say Northern Seminary, I believe. Okay. And D.A. Carson, he might have retired, but I, he was at Trinity. And both of those, I believe, are in or right outside of Chicago. So way to go, Illinois. Look at you guys representing. (laughs) Sponsored by Chicago. That's exactly right. (laughs) Paul writes here that God gave to the Philippians two things, belief in Christ and suffering for Christ. Both of these infinitives are in the present tense. And if you guys are not 
sure um, of present tense because you are bad at grammar like myself. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that means now because Dr. Girdwood told me (laughs) the present tense. Oh, it actually says it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So I look smart. Present tense means it's a continuing action. So it's Mm -hmm. a verb. It's something that you're doing that's continuous. Mm -hmm. So belief in Christ and suffering for us both are infinitives in the present tense, indicating a current and continuing situation. Mm -hmm. Paul is not saying that you are going to believe and suffer this one time and then it's done. It is a continuous action. Mm -hmm. Looking at the first phrase, to believe in him, Paul uses this phrase when speaking to the Galatians. We have come to believe in Christ Jesus. And that's Galatians 2.16. And you can also check it out in Romans chapter 10, verse 10 and 14. In Galatians, Paul stresses the distinction between works of the law and belief in Christ in terms of justification. In Philippians, Paul emphasizes the present and ongoing action of believing in Christ, parallel with the current and ongoing suffering experienced by the Philippians. This is the only place in Philippians where Paul uses the verb to believe, but its cognate noun, faith, belief, is used several times verse 25, 27, and in verse 27, the faith of the gospel is a unique phrase in Paul and likely carries both the sense of faith as the content of the gospel message and the act of faith that the gospel message generates in believers. Lest we imagine that faith in Christ is merely intellectual acceptance of cold facts, Paul conjoins faith and suffering in his picture of the Christian life. For Paul, suffering only makes sense and is bearable because of the immeasurably rich faith, our belief in the sure, faithful work of Christ that is the gift God gives to every believer. Paul reassures the Philippians that suffering is redemptive inasmuch as it testifies to Christ's work at on the cross. Mm-hmm. Suffering is an expected aspect of the end of the current age dominated by sin and oppression. But suffering does not have the final word. God will gain the victory as evidence already in Christ's resurrection, which is the gospel that the Philippians confess. Mm-hmm. Like the privilege, like Christians have privileges given to us by God. And these privileges are not only just to, believe in Christ, like that's a privilege, but also to suffer for him, which sounds crazy. But if we're wondering if it's okay to see suffering as a privilege or a gracious gift, we have to remember that the New Testament, it rewards suffering as God's means of achieving his gracious purposes in his own son. Like in Hebrews 2.10, it talks about bringing sons and daughters to glory through Christ's suffering. So God's own son went through suffering to achieve God's purposes. And then all believers go through suffering. So James 1, 3 through 4, where it talks about how our testing of our faith produces perseverance. Or 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 talks about rejoicing in trials because they prove the genuineness of your faith. Um, Our human minds hear suffering and it sounds awful. You would never call it a privilege, really. But here Paul is saying that suffering brings you closer to unity with Christ and also to unity with your Christian brothers and sisters that are being persecuted, which is the whole goal, right? To be united with Christ and that his bride would be united as well. So suffering is truly a gift, even though in our human terms, you don't see it that way, but to achieve God's purposes, that's a gift. Something I want to add to that. Whenever you are suffering or um, facing oppression, um, we should rejoice in that because everyone's like, okay, no, (laughs) but hear me out because you only face suffering and oppression. um, Generally speaking, let me clarify. Generally speaking, you face it when you're doing something right, Mm -hmm. when you're in the will of God, when you are, and I'm, I'm trying to use this very loosely. So like, don't think that if you're suffering and you're also like living in sin, That Mm -hmm. could be God calling your attention, like, hey, knock it off. But it's also a way for us, you know, Satan doesn't come after people who aren't doing anything. Right. Right. Um, And I think it also is symbolic of maturity and growth. Um, If we're struggling through and we're suffering through, um, I think trials and tests are just that. They're showing Mm -hmm. us 
when you take a test, it shows you whether or not you know the material. Yeah. And I think when God gives us tests, it's whether or not we are um, carrying out, we're, we're living out what we have studied, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Which yeah. that's like how when tests you, work. You ask for patience. God's not just going to give you patience. He's going to right. give you opportunities to be patient. Well, what opportunities do you need to be patient other than ones that kind of cause you to suffer a little bit? It's that same idea that when we want to become more like Christ, more united with him, more sanctified in him, we have to go through the things that will give us opportunities to become more like him, which oftentimes more often than not means Mm -hmm. suffering because you're going to have spiritual warfare in there too. And Satan's going to say, no, you don't, you don't need to be more like Christ. So let's just add in a little bit of, of trial and, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it refines us in the fire. Yeah. Test the spirits. Ask God. Yep. Show yep. me. Is this, am I suffering because I'm mm-hmm. growing? Am I suffering because you're showing me something? Am I suffering because I'm living in sin? Make it clear to me mm-hmm. what's going on. And he will. Yeah. And he will. Something like Paul's situation, though, I feel like it's it's pretty clear. If he's getting thrown in jail because of his faith. I think he could have that clarity of encouragement to know, well, I'm not here because I disobeyed the law because I wanted to. I'm here because I was preaching Christ. So that's a privilege that I get to be put in jail for his name. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, guys, we are wrapping it up. But you know I can't end this podcast without another Don Carson quote. (laughs) One more. One more. Poor old time's sake. (laughs) He said, sin is not a living thing, of course. So one cannot suppose that sin literally has a perspective. But the category is useful, even a metaphor, even if metaphorical, because it helps us see what the cross achieved with respect to sin. The answer to the question is highly diverse in the Bible because sin can be thought of in so many ways. Sin can be thought of as a debt. I owe something I cannot pay. In that case, the cross is seen as the means by which the debt is paid. One sometimes reads on Christmas cards the two-line poem, He came to pay a debt he did not owe, because we owed a debt we could not pay. That is exactly right. This is what the cross achieved. Sin can also be thought of as a stain. In that case, the dirt is removed by the death of Christ, where sin is offense before God. In that case, we insist that the cross expiates our sin. It cancels it and thus removes it. But regardless of what imagery is used to depict the foulness and odiousness of sin, the cross is solution, the soul solution. Mm-hmm. The Bold Movement is a ministry that helps Christian women gain confidence in their biblical literacy, faith, and evangelism through customizable content strategically created to work with our community support to enhance and expand the kingdom of God. We'll be back next week, and we hope you join us. This is a quick reminder that you can partner with us through our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the bold movement. Okay, ladies, until next time, go out and be bold.
What do you think? Cut this. Okay. <laughs> Verse 25. Do you want to go ahead and read it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're good. That was kind of a weird quote. I might just take that out. For some reason, I thought it was really good, and I'm not seeing – like, I, it's not bad. I just don't know what it really adds that we haven't talked about. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. I, I think I had nothing else to, yeah, add to, to it. I love it. Whatever. Blooper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. 